What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Hungry Few Podcast. Today, I have an awesome guest with me, Joel Burkhalter, who is an American Ninja Warrior athlete, an Air Force veteran, and owner of Everbowl Mission Valley. Uh, can't wait to dive in, and uh, we we have an awesome episode here for you guys. So, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the call, brother. Dude, cannot wait to dive into it. So, uh, let's just start with Everbowl for y'all. For the people who don't know, what is Everbowl and uh, how did you get started with it? Yeah, so Everbowl is basically, we call it craft superfoods. So think Chipotle, Subway for acai pitaya bowls. So uh, that's what we focus on. We, we'd rather just do one thing very well. So that's what we do. We do bowls. Um, we do unlimited toppings for no extra charge, which is what separates us from most other places. Mm. Uh, I've been doing that for... A little over four years now. My little brother, Ben, he's also been on this podcast. He was the first employee of Everbowl. He found Jeff Finster, the owner, before he even opened the first one. And so he was the first employee for Everbowl. I was going to school at the time. I was driving Uber. I hated it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so eventually I got a part-time job at Everbowl in Poway. That was the first and only one at the time. And then... I ended up, you know, just taking responsibility for everything that I could find. And honestly, it was the comparison was easy. Like I'm competing against a bunch of 17 year olds. So it was a little easier to to stand out and, and seem excellent compared to everyone else. Especially mm-hmm. I, I already did five years in the Air Force. So I had a good work ethic and good discipline and um, some leadership. Uh, ability from that so they asked me to manage the second one and third one and fourth one and I ended up working up to regional training manager and helping open most of the first 20 and then became a district manager overseeing six stores about 100 employees and then I actually ended up leaving the company uh, did my own thing I was part of a network marketing company and I tried to do that full-time so I sold everything I had and moved to Costa Rica with my mentor and went all in with that working from our laptops. And that was a total bust. It didn't work out well at all. Uh, We were sold uh, that we would be the the poster children for this massive ad campaign. So we would get all the leads for it Mm -hmm. and they could, they couldn't touch any of those leads because they were technically working for the company and they just kind of completely dropped off. And fell through and so we didn't see any of that um and then so eventually i need to go back to the real world and start making some money and uh so i spent um really the next year after that kind of rebuilding my life eventually get a car again uh i was dead broke so working on first getting a job and then trying to, you know, pay things off and save up a little money and get my own place. And then eventually that led me back to, uh, Everbowl. And, and, and when you got back to Everbowl at that point, is that when you started your, to open your own location or did you just go and work for them again? Yeah. So, uh, they were very awesome about keeping their word. Um, as a district manager, I turned down the last raise they offered me and I said, I don't, don't give me a raise. Give me a good buy-in. I want yeah. my own store eventually. Mm-hmm. Give me a good price. And 
even though I left the company, even though that was like a year and a half prior when I, when I came back and wanted to buy my own store, they completely honored that. They gave me a very good price and let me basically have my pick of any location I wanted. Wow. Uh, I mean, there were different prices, but yeah. So they completely honored that and they wanted me to wanted me and my brother Ben to be the first. So we were, so Ben was the first franchisee, just like he was the first employee. And I was literally a few weeks later, I opened mine. It's awesome. I took over. So you talked about how you went from working as an employee of Everbolt to just moving up to managing that location, to managing multiple locations, becoming a district manager for the entire district. Why do you think that they chose you to do that? Why were you the person that stood out to be fit to fill that role for them? There's a lot of factors and reasons for it. Again, part of it, like I said, is who I'm competing against. Mm-hmm. Like we we would say in the Air Force, like to to seem legendary, to seem excellent, all you need to be is 10% better than your peers. Mm. You don't need to be 80% better. You need to be just be 10% better to seem like the best in your class. So I think that was part of it. Again, I'm competing with people a lot younger than me. A lot of them, this is their first or second job. And then the other part of it, if I could dwindle it down to one, one thing, it'd probably be, I just continued to seek out any responsibility that I could take mm. that I wasn't asked to. Like what I would always train my employees on is if you want to raise, um, you need to be doing more than you're paid to do. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why would you deserve a raise? Yeah. So that's Which why is I, funny because a lot of people have a mindset of, oh, when I get paid more, then I'll do more. Yeah. Rather than, no, let me do more so I can earn more money because I'm worth more. Yep. Awesome. I know. I've, it's funny how many times I've heard that. It's like, yeah. well, if y'all would pay me more, then I'd do more. Yeah. You're like, no, it's, not it's kind funny. of the opposite. <laughs> so I would say I, I was constantly thinking about how how can I take things off Brian's plate? How can I take things off Jeff's plate? Those are my supervisors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would do that. And then I would get things done, get things done for them. So it just made sense for me to get a raise and get more responsibility because I, I was already doing more than I was paid to do. Mm. And do you think that work being in all those roles really prepared you to go into the business world when you started to own your own franchise? Absolutely. Um, one from managing stores. So being in there and seeing that and doing the orders and scheduling and things like that. But then I also, they, we lost a, our, our one delivery driver, Cause we used to have a warehouse yeah. and the delivery driver load up six days a week and deliver all products, everything we needed to every store. Mm-hmm. And so he just pieced out with no notice. And I really did not want to do that at all. Um, but Nor would I, <laughs> yeah, but, um, it was definitely less glamorous, you know, and very boring and a lot of driving and a lot of just manual labor, which I was trying to get away from, but it, it showed me the logistics side of it more and the warehouse side of it more. So it, it made my understanding of the company a lot, a little more all encompassing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so you said that being in Everbowl helped you a lot for owning your own franchise. 
What about the military, military background as well as uh, with the network marketing? How have those two things prepared you for your current role? For sure. Uh, so with the military, it definitely gave me some discipline. It, I was, gave me a lot of responsibility. You know, I worked up to being in charge of a few airmen. Um, we would work on 30 million dollar aircraft. So it was, wow. a, it was a big deal. And you also had lives at stake. Like if you didn't do your job correctly and let's say you left parts laying around or you didn't install something correctly, there could very potentially be uh, catastrophic uh, repercussions for that, like a plane mm-hmm. crashing, the whole flight crew and whoever else dying because you're not doing your job well. Wow. Um, and then when I deployed to Afghanistan, uh, it one, it makes you like we would get, I was on an air base, but in Bagram, if anyone's familiar with Afghanistan, but uh, we would get rockets and mortars shot at you pretty often. And let's say average of one a day, maybe, maybe a little less than that. But what you come to realize is you can't just live in fear for your five month deployment. You can't mm-hmm. just constantly all day, every day, just be scared and just, I hope I don't get hit. You just have to accept that. All right. If I get hit, I get hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so be it. I can't live my life in fear for five months and you just have to accept that and deal with it. And, and, you know, and it was very high pressure at times. Like I, I fixed aircraft, uh, communication and navigation systems like radar, radio, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I, we did have a lot of, um, systems that were flight critical. They couldn't take off. They couldn't fly without without my systems working. So sometimes they'd have these critical missions. They'd have the only plane or they'd have one plane on the ground and they'd say, Hey, this radar's down. We got to go pick up some critically wounded guys downrange. We have the only hospital in the area. Your system's broken. What is it? You need to fix it now. You yeah. got to go. And then that's when that adrenaline kicks in and you're just like, Oh, sh- need to perform on the spot. <laughs> And it could wow. be, you know, one of 50 different things. Oh, and wow. a lot of, sometimes you're the only person out there. So I'm 20 years old doing this. And that seems like it's pretty high stress situation. Yeah. How do you deal with all that stress? Uh, I guess part of it is just training, just repetition, doing it a lot. And, and built up that muscle to handle more stress. Yeah. Interesting. And you don't really have a, you don't really have a choice, you know, especially if there's <laughs> other lives on the line. Um, but you do it so much and you, you're in school for a long time and then you're doing it. Basically, someone's holding your hand for a long time on the job training. It's usually like years. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost muscle memory at that point. So when you're with the high stress situation, you already know what to do. So it's not thinking as much as it is just doing. Yeah. You okay. just, I mean, you go down your, your checklists and, and. Mm-hmm explore your kind of troubleshooting tree and figure out what it could be. And sometimes it's, it's really hard because you figure out what the problem is, but it's, it's something that is going to take days to fix. Mm. And so you have to be the bearer of bad news. Yeah. And that that's hard sometimes. And then it also, it's easy for the upper levels to think like if you were a better mechanic, you would be able to fix this. Yeah. You would, it wouldn't take these days and maybe sometimes that's true, but 
So there's a lot of pressure. So I sell that to say that, um, you know, failing in, let's say a business or things like that just seem a little less scary because of being in situations that are a lot more high stakes, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So that makes it easier. And then, um, the other part that gave me a little more risk tolerance would be knowing what rock bottom is. Like I've been homeless before mm-hmm. just from my own, um, just being an idiot basically. <laughs> um, from the Costa Rica? Uh, yeah. no, I don't mean that. I mean, before that, even, yeah. even during Everbowl, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't even know that, but just from being stupid with my money and not learning my lessons and, and honestly numbing myself with, with weed and alcohol and getting mm-hmm. drunk and high, like every night and doing different stuff where just not being smart. Mm-hmm. So I, I would have, do you I know I'm to blame of myself yeah. for that. Do you think that was due to the high stress? No, I mean, this is, this is years later. Mm. Um, that was different kind of demons and issues I was struggling through. Mm. Um, but ultimately it's, there's no one to blame for that except for me. Yeah. It's an awesome mindset too. that. I think we see a lot. I mean, that's Jocko's whole thing, right? Extreme ownership, take extreme ownership for every single thing in your life. If somebody else isn't doing their job, it's your fault. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mindset. And it's never, it's never been helpful to, to be a victim. And mm. I always see that as I know some people, you might get a temporary, like, uh, alleviation of your burden. If, if you really believe that, Oh, this wasn't my fault. I'm a yeah. victim and, um, ego boost. Yeah. So you feel, you might feel good immediately. You're like, Oh, that wasn't my fault. Uh, although I really doubt that anyone could truly believe that. Yeah. At least for stuff that they know they had played a part in, had control over. But if you truly believe you're a victim and nothing's your fault, that's got to be the most depressing thing in the world. Because that means there's nothing you can do to change it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I don't don't know why anyone would choose to believe that. And I certainly don't don't want to. I, I hate any sort of victim mentality yeah I mean, it doesn't all, help anyone it just yeah. hurts you i mean we're all victims at times but i'm not going to deny that but mm-hmm. it's just never helpful to adopt that that mindset yeah whether it's true or not yeah but i feel like i deviated from your question a little bit i love that so we we talked about how the military has really shaped you into the person you are now and prepared you for the current walk of life you're in what about uh network marketing you touched on that a little bit and how that has helped you Whatever. Yeah, totally. Uh, so network marketing, it, it really got me on the path to self-development and reading and reading has absolutely changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to, trying to turn our friend Sal onto, onto reading a little more, Oh yeah. but really how it was pitched to me and that made perfect sense. And I'll never forget it was, all right, think about whatever you want to get better at in life, whether it's, you want to be a better speaker, do you want to be a better salesman? Do you want to have better sex? Do you want to be a better communicator? It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is, somebody spent their entire life mastering that. And then mm-hmm. they wrote a book telling you exactly how to do it. Uh, and also avoid all the mistakes that they made. And you can get to that their level in, let's say, a tenth of the time. Mm, yeah. So 
with that being said, why would you not read? <laughs> yeah. Kind of stupid for not reading, but like that. <laughs> and so I should be reading some more. Than <laughs> so that's how it was pitched to me. And I'm like, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so after hearing that, I'm, I'm just like, why would you not take advantage of all that knowledge out there? That mm. free knowledge or you can't pay more than, I don't know, $20 for a book. Yeah. So I was always a reader, but it was always fiction. You know, it was just for imagination and entertainment. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, so network marketing really, if nothing else, it just made me get way out of my comfort zone and I expanded that. And one, it, it shattered the belief that I had growing up in a poor Southern Baptist family and, and community where wealthy people are the worst. They're evil. They're selfish. They're greedy. Yeah. Um, they only got that way by stealing and taking advantage of people or they inherited it and mm-hmm. not good people. Yeah. Right. And then something that I saw in network marketing was the really successful people were also the most generous with their time, with their advice, with mm-hmm. their money, they would give and donate. And, uh, they were all usually, they were the most awesome people in the room yeah. and they also happened to be the most successful and wealthy in the room. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh, seems like they go together a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you have that, that money mindset of all rich people are a-holes. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, I want money because I want to buy all this stuff. You have one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas. Yeah. So you're, you're not subconsciously, you're not going to want to make money because you're like, well, people that have money are assholes. Yeah. So I feel like when you have that mindset, you're never going to, there's something stopping you from reaching it. Cause you're like, I don't want that. I want it, but I don't want it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very self-sabotaging. And then especially if you're a, a Christian and there's a lot of beliefs there too. If, yeah. Again, if you're wealthy, that's you're greedy or immoral. Mm. Um, and then what, what I was challenged on and I would challenge whoever's listening with that belief is that if, if you think that you wouldn't want to be a millionaire because you don't need all that stuff, I would say that you are very selfish and you can only think of spending all that on yourself. Yeah. And no one do for me. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. So you, no one said that if you make a million dollars, you have to keep any of it. Yeah. You know, something that Riley Meek told me that, I thought it was really funny. He said, money isn't everything unless you don't have it. Yeah. Unless you don't have any of it. I was like, mm, that's more, that's super true. If you don't have any money, then that's all you can think about because you're in, I mean, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You yeah. need to meet your basic needs. But when you have more of it, then just allows you and allows us as Christians to become more generous with our money. And money yeah. is just an amplifier, right? It's just a tool. It just amplifies the person you already are. Absolutely. And so if you're, if you're a good person, then you're going to be able to do more good things with it. I mean, if I said, okay, name all the bad things you would do with money. If I give you a million dollars, probably couldn't name me. Like, I, well, I don't think I'll do any bad things. Right. Yeah. Because you're a good person and you do good things with it. And I think that's the problem with the the Christian money mindset is like, Oh, well, if I have more money than, then it's, it's bad. You know, when it's like, well, no, you could look how much extra stuff you can do. Look at the Christian economy. You can go look at all of the, the people that you can help, the generosity that, that you could give to other people. I think it's a mindset we need to break. And people always think of the verse, um, 
the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Yeah. People always say money is the root of all yeah, evil. They, they take, forget out, they take the, out the, the first love half. part. And yeah. Like, gotta be careful with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to to go back to network marketing, it was there's definitely a huge stigma of it being like a pyramid scheme, and yeah. there's nothing but there's no good out of it. it it's mm-hmm. not legal. It's illegal, and it's only taking advantage of people. Um, so those definitely exist, but what I saw from network marketing and what it did for me was a, a business that already had a system going that everything was already in place and for a very low amount of money, you could buy into it and get started. So it's basically like entrepreneurship or business owner with training wheels. Hmm. It's very low cost to buy in and then, but you have to develop all the business skills that you need to, to operate a successful business. So mm-hmm. you had to get good at sales at, at leading your team and being a communicator. Um, not everyone gave presentations. I did. Mm-hmm. And part of it was, you know, they always said the guy holding the microphone or at the, the guy at the front of the room was the one making the most money. Yeah. And the other reason I would do presentations was because it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And uh, that to me, a lot of times that's why you should do it. Obviously there's mm. excess to that. You shouldn't do anything dangerous just because it scares you. But a lot of times that's where the growth is, is, is where that fear is and you got to lean into it and do it. Mm. Um, so if nothing, if it did nothing else for me, like I made some money, not a ton of money. I think my best year in network marketing was, I don't know. 40,000, 35,000, mm-hmm. something like that. But I, I'm so glad I did it because of the person that it made me become. And it made me appreciate um, the business I have now as yeah. well. And it sounds like with the amount of skepticism within network marketing, it almost helped develop even more so because of the amount of rejection that you would have from that. Yeah. And so you have to figure out how to deal with all this rejection, which is another thing that scares the heck out of people. And like you're saying, people never learn. You don't get wisdom from your comfort zone, right? Everything you learn is from putting yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So I think that being in that network marketing, whatever you believe about it, the fact that people are so skeptical about it, you had to deal with a ridiculous amount of rejection, which actually helped you build up that. I don't care what people think muscle. Yeah. And what I came to, and I, again, I don't claim to have ever been that successful in network marketing. Um, <laughs> but what I, what I came to, and honestly, I got to this conclusion first, like with, with girls, like trying to pick up girls and, um, you know, get a girl's phone number or whatever, uh, is like when, when I became my happiness, or me being proud of myself was only if I got, let's say her phone number or I got a date or I got a yes, you know, that was, unless I got that phone number, I would feel terrible. Then to me, that's a recipe for disaster. And so the shift that I made was I was proud of myself. Every time I acted in my fear, I approached this, this beautiful girl that scared me to death. Mm. Um, and I just, I, I went for it. I, ask for her number or whatever, you know? And then when I became happy and proud of myself that I acted in my fear, not 
just only if I got the desired outcome. That was the huge shift for me. And it was the same for going for sales, like for network marketing was like, I was proud of myself and I was happy every time I acted in my fear, Mm. not only when I made a sale. It's focusing on what you can control. Yeah. I love that. Because you can't, you know, you don't have control over other people. Yeah. So you can't make them do things. So Uh, that's that's what you can control. Yeah. And I think that was a huge shift for me. Yeah. And I, I try to live by that with everything I'm doing now. It's like, I think that's a huge shift because when people are focusing on what they can't control, that if it's never in your control, then why would you judge yourself based on that? Yeah. And so I feel like just making that shift alone, it's, it's like, it's all on me and it's, it's up to me to like, I'm going to feel good if I took the action because I don't care about what other people think. That's awesome. So you, you were talking about the different books or you're talking about how books helped you level up a ton. What are your top three books you recommend to people that helped you level up? I would say as a man thinketh mm-hmm. that really shifted a lot for me that even the concept of thinking about how you think and thinking about how you speak, I never would have come to that conclusion myself. Interesting. Um, I mean, I know the Bible definitely touches on it, uh, but so that was huge for me. Just mm-hmm. uh, that your words matter mm-hmm. and even your thoughts matter. And so if you are thinking like a loser and speaking like a loser, the likelihood that you're going to be a winner in spite of that is, is almost zero. Yeah. Because uh, you're constantly convincing yourself that you're a loser or that yeah. you can't do this or that this isn't going to work out. And a lot of people call that semantics and that it doesn't matter. And that whole half glass, half full, half empty thing is just irrelevant. And that's just that silly, positive thinking, yeah. speaking stuff. And there's definitely well, now there's science coming out that yeah. that, that proves different. That's the thought loops that we have actually control a lot more things. Yeah, I, I that made a huge impact in my life, and pretty yeah. much anyone that I've ever seen adopted it's make it makes a big impact in their life. Yes. Um, so as a man like, thinketh is huge mind, yeah. mindset shifter. Yeah, that's that's Tony Robbins' number one book that he recommends oh, to really? this day. Yeah. Wow. Um, definitely have to read that. Thing. Yeah. It's they wrote that in like 1900, something like that. Wow. Um, that shows you how powerful it is. If it's still like a number one book. Yeah. The, my number two, they're, they're a similar book. I would say would be, um, the compound effect or the slight edge. They have a lot of the same, mm. same principles, but it's basically, you're always either everything you do is compounding. So it's either compounding up or compounding down. Uh, so, you know, that, that apple a day, um, either leads to health 10 years or, or the, um, not doing that then 10 years from now, like your, your health is going to be a lot less worse than it could be. And yeah. so that's, that's a lame example of it, but that's just thinking about that for every single thing you do stacking ones and that it's just, there's no such thing as that overnight success or that overnight, whatever it's always little decisions, little habits that are implemented over a long period of time. Yeah. It's never that immediate huge payoff or it's never on the flip side, 
you drink one monster energy drink, you don't have diabetes and heart palpitations the next day. It's 20 years, yeah. 10 years of you chugging three of those bad boys back. And then it's a consistency. Yeah. Now your skin's crap. You have type two diabetes, you got heart issues. And yeah, it was a culmination of that. Well, that makes sense. I went to the gym yesterday. I had abs hard and I still don't have a six pack. So <laughs> I, I guess that makes sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. So we have those two books. Is there a business more? Those are both mindset centered. Is there a business one? Do you think that has helped you level up, or do you think that those are kind of the books that helped you level up? In business? Absolutely. Um, I would say Master Key to Riches by Napoleon Hill, mm. or Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Those are two fantastic books. Uh, the first time I read Think and Grow Rich, it, it just it sucked to read. Yeah, and it and that's the thing is like. It usually sucks to read because it's showing all of your inadequacies yeah. and all the things that you're not doing and you could be better at doing. And yeah, I, I would say like if you're just loving and enjoying, I mean, I, I think you should fall in love with learning. Yeah. But if you're just constantly like read everything you read, you just love it and it's awesome. I, I think... You're probably not um, taking away as yeah, much from it as you should because be. Because it should be a little bit of a kick in the butt yeah. in a way of, of just... Wisdom looks a lot like pain sometimes yeah. <laughs> where it's like, man, I suck. Yeah. So that's that's what um, that's what Think and Grow Rich did for me. That was kind of the first self, self-development book I'd ever read. And it was basically, you know, it really showed me like, why in the world would I be wealthy right now? Like I'm just vaguely wanting to be richer and more successful and better off in life. Mm. But it really brought to light for me, like what value have I brought to the marketplace yeah. to, to earn me this more income or a better lifestyle? And the answer was zero. I'm not bringing any value to the marketplace. Mm. So why, how dare I like, ask for more when I don't deserve more. Yeah. You know, mm, I love that. That's Bedros always talks about that. He says, you want to make a million dollars, help a million people. Yeah. It's awesome. Cool. So we have uh, top three books now too. Uh, one last question before we uh, wrap this up. If you were to go to somebody who's say in their twenties, looking to get into entrepreneurship to start their journey as an entrepreneur, what would be the number one piece of advice you'd give? I would say, Look for a, a system or a franchise. So network marketing is a great example of that. Uh, or at least look for a mentor who has something tangible to offer, which usually those go hand in hand. Like if you if you get involved in network marketing or you get a lot involved in a lot of different franchises or, or systems. I know there's a lot online now through Amazon and through online, there's a ton of ways to make money. Yeah. Um, Usually that's going to come with a mentor and also usually um, you're going to have someone, whoever's getting you involved in this business opportunity, you would, I would say, I'd recommend that you would actually want a mentor who's financially vested in your success Mm -hmm. versus if, if your mentor, the person you're learning from can't possibly, um, profit off of your success, they're just going to be less, it's just human nature. They're going to be less motivated to give you the best insight and direction. So I would say 
find a system that you can plug into and work it. So there's so many of those out there. There's thousands, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands opportunities out there that you can do for not very much money at all. Let's say, you know, a thousand dollars or less Mm -hmm. and um, you can plug in and and you can start learning some real business skills and, and really start making some money. So what I'm hearing is don't reinvent the wheel, get a GPS. So you know where you're going. Don't just start driving, you know, figure out where you're going and get somebody who's already been there. And if possible, make sure that they're financially invested into that so that they can also gain have financial gain as you succeed. To, to me, I, I think it's better. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people think it like, Oh, this guy's going to make money. If you make money to me, that's like, great. Yeah. So he's going to help me get there. Then he's going to be more motivated to, to help me succeed as well. So I think that's, that's better, not worse. Awesome. But yeah, find Dude, a system. I love that. I love that. So where can uh, the guests find you, support you? Uh, yeah. So come to my store. I own the Ever Bowl in Mission Valley. Come get an acai bowl. Uh, you can follow me at Everjoel underscore on Instagram. That's my LLC name is Everjoel Ventures. Come on. Uh, and yeah. Perfect. I'll include all that in the show notes as well. So y'all can find them on uh, Instagram. Follow along. If you're not in San Diego, if you are in San Diego County, go to uh, Mission Valley Ever Bowl location. The Acai bowls are phenomenal. Also, the Cocoa Love and the uh, Blue wow. Magic. They have lots of different flavors for different people, vegan, vegetarian. They have sugar-free options, and it is delicious. It is it is phenomenal. So if you guys are in San Diego and you haven't tried it yet, you are missing out. Trust me on this one. And, uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show, brother. Thank you for Pleasure. Having me.